3: Yes, that was the button. This is the place. Come. Come in and know that you are welcome. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, to the Nook, and to the District of Wonders. My name is Lawrence Santoro, and yes, I know, I know, I don't mention the other neighborhoods of this raucous, wondrous district often enough. For those of you who in addition to having a fondness for ghoulies, ghosties, long-legged beasties, and all such things that bump about in the night, and who also like tales of the evil that men and women do to each other, there is the rat-infested streets and alleys of Crime City Central, if, in addition to demon horror and vampiric glamour, you're also drawn to adventure of a fast-paced, overheated, thrill-a-minute sort there's Protecting Project Pulp. And if you like stories that take you to the edge of the universe and beyond, you can stop by the district spaceport and hop aboard the starship sofa. If that litany of fictive musings that are done here in the District of Wonders doesn't supply all your needs, however, and you must have dragons, swords, elves, fairies, and sorcerers, the whole panoply of the fantastic. To complete your yearnings, there soon will be a new neighborhood. Well, sit back and listen.
0: J.R.R. Tolkien once said, a single dream is more powerful than a thousand realities. In that spirit, the District of Wonders brings you many more dreams in the form of stories. A new fantasy podcast, Far Fetched Fables, will be launching soon. Fantastic fabulisms from writers like Gene Wolfe, A.A. Atanasio, Jenny Wertz, and many more. Stay tuned to the Starship SOFA for details.
3: Yes, there will be more anon. And you can hear it here as well as the starship sofa. You know, the boundaries between neighborhoods of the district are not all that strict. There are no border checkpoints, no hard lines between, say, crime and horror, between horror and science fiction, between science fiction and shadowy detectives with powers learned in the Orient that can cloud men's minds. Well, you get the idea. For the most part, we, all of us, came out of that primordial pulp of the early 1900s. Back then, there was capital L Literature, and there was the popular stuff, us, with our nickels and dimes, we bought the stuff of dreams, the worlds built by quarter-cent-a-word geniuses like Robert Howard, H. Rider Haggard, Lester Dent, H.P. Lovecraft, Talbot Mundy, Harold Lamb, Dashiell Hammett, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Raymond Chandler, Doc Smith, John W. Campbell, and the list is nearly, literally, endless. These guys, and hundreds more, were cracking out two, three more tales a week under a variety of names. Frederick Schiller Faust, for example, wrote more than a million words per year. He sometimes had three or four stories in a single issue of a publication— and along the way, he became George Owen Baxter, Evan Evans, George Evans, David Manning, John Frederick, Peter Morland, George Chalice, Frederick Frost, and Max Brand, who, by the way, not only created the character of Destry, who rides again and again, but also Dr. Kildare. Sometimes the name would be the same, yet the writers behind the name would be legion. Well, I mention all of this to emphasize what is the essential brotherhood between we who dwell in this district, this place of wonders, this magical, fantastical, horrific, thrilling place of vast science and dastardly doings, and I mention it to provide what is a rather lengthy introduction to tonight's tale, which is Arthur Davis's A Sly and knowing grin. Is it horror? Is it science fiction? Yes, and yes, it is. Well, listen to it, and I'll let you debate it. And by the way, I hope that your thoughts and your questions, your sure and certain assertions, find their way onto the Tales to Terrify Facebook page. You know, for years now, I have been trying to get you Nook visitors to express yourselves, to raise issues, counter each other's comments while keeping the discourse on an elevated plane, of course, and to use our little corner of the social media universe to get to know each other, to create a community here. Well, now, back to our regularly scheduled program Fiction. Arthur Davis is a management consultant. He's been quoted in the New York Times, Craig's New York Business. He's been interviewed on New York TV News Channel One. He's taught at the New School University, given testimony as an expert on best practices for the U.S. Senate. He's appeared in the same capacity before the New York State Commission on Corruption in Boxing. He has written 11 novels and over 130 short stories, and he's had over 40 mystery, suspense, horror, slipstream, science fiction, as well as mainstream fiction tales published online and in print. In June of 2013, Connotation Press, which is at www.connotationpress.com, published his novel The Last Ride. This spring, Calliope... The official publication of the writer's special interest group of American Mensa Limited will publish Davis's Conversation in Black, and that'll be both online and in print. Reviewers of Arthur Davis's nine novels and stories have compared his work to that of writers such as Arthur Conan Doyle, Dashiell Hammett, Stephen King, Raymond Carver, Rod Serling, and others. Okay. Okay. Before we go too far here, both Arthur Davis and I will step aside. We will let you settle down with treats, beverage, and chum, and contemplate a sly and knowing grin.
0: Kelly Christina Ramos was immediately attracted to the young man scouring through the rows of old 78 RPM records across the aisle in the back of Fields' antique shop. He was tall and lean the way she preferred. He had a shy vulnerability about his eyes that she found hopelessly endearing. She tried to see what had caught his attention, She had always been interested in the classics, Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, and Brahms. Had he the soul for jazz, the blues, or was he a country and western addict, as were some of her old friends? She didn't particularly care for it, but mused that if he was as sensitive as he looked, with those long, slender fingers and narrow wrists and tender, unblemished skin, Then she would understand and accept such musical eccentricities. He couldn't have been more than twenty, and from the dilapidated condition of his shoulder bag and jacket collar, he was probably a student from one of the local trade schools. She stood up straighter, trying to hide any remnant of her usually slouching posture and indiscriminate belly, and thrust out her not insubstantial breasts. "'though not ostentatiously enough to expose her nipples, "'which themselves would command attention "'and take on a life of their own with a little inspiration. "'The young man didn't take notice "'when she started to shift her body to the left and right "'in order to capture his attention. "'His intensity did not deter Kelly, "'who remembered it was only a matter of time "'after a man saw her dusky brown eyes.' ample figure, and wet, naturally pouting lips, before they were chasing her around her apartment. It hadn't been that way for some time, but, when she was on key, when she wanted a man, though she hadn't for some time, she could depend on the powers of her sexuality. She didn't want to be too obvious. She also didn't want to miss this opportunity, her coming-out party of sorts, "'after having had to withdraw from life for so long. "'She ran through a mental list of alternatives to getting his attention, "'including the most obvious, "'which was walking up and asking him what he was looking for. "'She just didn't want to let this boy get away, "'not now when, for the first time in some time, "'she felt in some tentative command of her life. "'What she wasn't prepared for was the young man suddenly grabbing the elderly man standing next to him, with claws that had only moments ago been delicate fingers leafing through old record jackets. He twisted his head around, shot out his jaws to twice their length, revealing rows of ragged, razor-sharp teeth, which he violently plunged into the back of the frail old man's neck. The old man wailed in shock, dropped the newspaper tucked under his arm, and tried to squirm free. His glasses flew from his face across the width of the narrow store. He struck out at the grasp of his tormentor. Turning away from the attack, he yelled something indiscernible and, after a few weakening attempts to free himself from the wincing pain, moaned softly, closed his eyes, and sank down against the display case, with the young man clinging to his side there was a moment of collective disbelief, a suspended haze of horror wherein those who saw the attack were unable to comprehend or refused to admit to their consciousness what they had been forced to witness. It was not merely what they saw, but the aggravated proximity in such a confined space to the assault that made their disbelief all the more real. After the initial shock and horror, Kelly, along with the other half-dozen frightened customers in the antique shop, ran frantically toward the front of the store and the street beyond. The owner, a man well over six feet tall, and every ounce of three hundred pounds of unstructured flesh, unflatteringly tucked into black jeans and filthy black shirt, stood with his arms raised in the doorway. "'No one leaves!' "'he announced as the frenzied band of customers spilled up against him. "'He stood resolute until one woman and then a man next to her "'started beating against his thick chest. "'But their efforts, however determined, "'however almost as desperate as had the old man's been, "'proved futile. "'Are you crazy?' Kelly screamed, "'unable to bring herself to look back "'as a few of the others were already doing.' The grimaces on their faces told her all she needed to know about the carnage that was taking place behind her. Only a week into her newfound freedom, and she had been pitched headlong into a nightmare. Wasn't what she brought to her bed at night enough? Wasn't the bitterness of her past curse enough for any lifetime? Why this? Why now? Why anything more? She had to find a way out of this fantasy. Sounds of flesh and bone being torn and rended spilled from the aisle. The young man was finishing off his prey. The sweet old man, who had graciously let her pass behind him, so she could get to a stack of fine Irish linens, was dying, or, mercifully, had already succumbed. Who was this boy, with the fine fingers and aura of thoughtful innocence, to bear a mouthful of teeth, the nature of which she couldn't have conjured in her most gruesome dream? She had to get past the owner. She had to get out. Maybe by breaking one of the floor-to-ceiling glass window panes that looked out onto the alleyway that led out onto Market Street. We have to get out of here. "'one of the men said, who couldn't take his eyes off "'of what the young man was doing to the old man. "'Or we're all going to die. "'You have to let us out. "'What's the matter with you?' "'Get out of the way,' another man demanded, "'as the pile-up of frightened customers tightened. "'He, too, was unable to move the manager, "'whose size and strength was more than adequate "'to repel the flurry of flailing arms and fists.' "'that beat against his body. "'No, let's try square dancing,' an elderly woman offered, "'an idea that immediately soothed "'and which was quickly accepted by the rest of the customers, except one. "'Right,' another quickly agreed. "'I have a great collection of square-dancing oldies,' the owner said, "'finally relaxing his stance. "'He returned behind the cash register,' "'leaned back and pulled down a pallet of dusty records "'from a shelf overhead. "'Kelly stood in shock and disbelief. "'Was the old woman crazy? "'Square dancing? "'Were all the others insane? "'Didn't they understand their lives were in danger? "'Whoever the boy was, my God, whatever he was, "'and wherever he came from, "'he could just as easily kill any of them "'when he was finished with the old man.' She reached for the door to the street, but it was locked. It was sealed shut as though it were part of the frame and stone wall in which it was set. She grabbed a heavy metal waste paper basket and flung it through the haphazard window display of rag dolls, tin toy cars, wooden duck pins, and paint-chipped wooden dumbbells. It crashed against the window, bounced back, and fell by her side, as an old Merle Haggard tune came up on the tortured speakers that sat on opposite ends of the cluttered counter. The manager was vigorously clapping his hands, encouraging everyone to participate, as a couple danced and dosey doed up and down the aisle, on the other side of where the slaughter was taking place. Are all you people mad? Kelly screamed, fists clenched, "'tears of fright and frustration draining down her cheeks. "'Then she fell against the glass door, "'kicking and beating her fists until she was exhausted. "'She looked in her purse as if it held the answer. "'There was nothing special in the small red-and-yellow-patterned summer clutch, "'nothing that she hadn't put in there, "'except the small book, "'partially hidden under a pile of tissues "'she carried to stem the tide of her summer hay fever.' She rummaged past it looking for something, then finally lifted it from the darkness. Spells and serpents and God, she mouthed to herself. I think he stopped, the woman with the wiry red hair said, standing frozen, entranced at the spectacle of the young man devouring his prey. The woman was in her late fifties slightly overweight, in a tatter of a dress that she once probably only wore to the grocery store. Then, as she began to decline, passing first through a plane of denial as to her real future, the limitations of her remaining possibilities, and grasping the measure of her past, the dress became a reminder of what had been, then a symbol of decline and denial that clothed her every day, no matter what the time of month or year." The owner switched off the unidentifiable country-western tune that had replaced Merle Haggard. "'Maybe he's done?' The momentary visage of the young man rising from the other side of the counter brought a flash of hope. "'No, he's not,' the man said he was out of breath from dancing with a woman who was apparently his wife. "'Why won't you let us out of here?' Kelly asked. "'drawing everyone's attention away from the boy, "'whose face and torso was splattered "'with broad, angry swaths of red. "'The boy hovered defensively over his kill. "'His head rotated in jerking, twisting motions "'from side to side. "'His once tender, forgiving eyes "'bulged red and distended from their sockets. "'He glanced again and again around the shop, "'then at the front door and the back of the store, as she had once seen on documentaries of predators protecting their kill, then dropped back to his knees and continued. Another country-western tune filled the air of doubt and fear with a rueful whine of lost loves and endless disappointment. Only this time no one danced. The memory of the young man stained in the red essence of another "'made movement, even retreat, now impossible, "'a threat hung palpable in the air. "'The owner waved off a curious passer by "'trying to get into the shop "'and pulled down the single black shade "'that separated Fields' antiques "'from the rest of the world. "'What had been a space splintered "'with late afternoon light "'was suddenly thrown into abject darkness.' "'illuminated only by the flicker of faint overhead bulbs "'and the fear from Kelly Ramos' brown eyes. "'She wanted to throw something at the owner, "'to bring him to his senses, "'to make him pay for the danger in which he was placing his customers. "'But she couldn't bring herself to throw any of the records that surrounded her, "'and had been a staple of her father's life, "'an obsession she willingly inherited.' Distant and distorted memories first of her father, a short, burly man, who wore almost comically owlish metal-rimmed eyeglasses, then her mother, a resolute woman whose silhouette looked like it was the exact female counterpart of her beloved husband, flashed brightly, then flamed out into darkness. Kelly tried to retrieve the image, but it was pointless. "'as it had been for as long as her recognizably short memory would permit. "'Could you get me a glass of water?' "'One of the women customers asked the manager. "'The young woman was only a few years older than Kelly, "'though Kelly was quick to note that she had a very unappealing figure. "'The woman was holding a large leather satchel under her arm. "'She had been the first to press against the owner when the attack began.' and then the first to back away when someone suggested they try square dancing instead of escaping for their lives. She seemed quite calm or resolute, or was she steadfastly unwilling to accept the danger in which she and the rest of the customers had been placed? You wait right here and I'll get you a cup from my office, the manager said and bounded his way toward the back of the shop. He seemed smaller, less threatening, Kelly thought. He passed on the opposite side of the display rack, where the young and old man danced. Kelly forced back the image she had so quickly formed of what the boy's hands would feel like on her body, cupping the soft curve of her breasts, tracing themselves down her neck and across the warm erectness of her nipples." THE DEPTH OF HUNGER BETWEEN HER ONCE STRONG LEGS. A MAN HAS BEEN KILLED, AND YOU WANT WATER? THE WOMAN SHOT BACK ANGRILY. I'M THIRSTY, OKAY. WHAT'S WRONG WITH THAT? THE HUSBAND OF THE COUPLE SAID. I COULD USE SOMETHING COOL MYSELF. THEN WHY DON'T YOU GO NEXT DOOR TO THE COFFEE SHOP, INSTEAD OF STANDING HERE WHILE THAT... THAT THING IS KILLING THAT POOR OLD MAN? "'His wife took hold of his sleeve. "'You know, Walter, we could do that. "'Maybe buy a scoop of ice cream. "'Cherry vanilla?' "'You know that's not possible, Kara.' "'The woman waved off his response with a wink "'and pushed her reluctant husband toward the front of the store, "'pulled open the door, which swung out "'as if it were waiting for the excuse to accommodate, "'and they were gone.' Two other customers went back to browsing through the aisles, "'at least the one opposite to where the carnage was taking place, "'while a third customer picked up his scattered groceries "'and walked out of the antique store. "'Kelly watched Kara and her husband, "'and then the woman passed through the front door. "'She wanted to cry, to stamp her feet, "'to force herself into an understanding "'of the contradictions that surrounded her.' "'There was an air of unfairness, of conspiracy, of acceptable brutality, "'that seemed directed at her and her alone. "'Others could pass through the door to freedom and safety, "'but she did not believe she would be allowed to follow. "'Where did they go?' the manager asked, "'returning to the front of the store with a cup of ice water in his hand. "'One of your customers just killed an old man.' And you're concerned about where that couple went? What about where your sanity went? You're a troublemaker, aren't you? The owner said, moving past her and back to his cash register, consuming the brimming cup of ice water in a single gulp. I can tell. What? We've been warned about people like you. Warned? "'You're the one the authorities should be warned about "'for not letting us out of this place. "'You can go if you want.' "'Now I can go, but not when it... he... it began,' she stuttered, "'knowing she should have taken the pills before venting her rage. "'You're not human,' she said, smacking the empty cup from his hand. "'Showing no emotion,' The manager wiped a splash of water from his face and announced, Everyone, please, stay if you want, go if you have to. And that still doesn't bother you? She said, pointing to the young man huddled over the remains. The rising price of food and the pollution in the air and the stench in our streets bothers me. Children starving to death by the millions the world over bothers me. Things I can't control, and what we've been forced to become, bothers me. But not a young man killing an old man in your store? We all have to make some concessions, he said, and turned away. For what? For what's necessary. Necessary? Kelly asked. "'trying desperately not to follow her instincts "'and plunge out of the now-accessible door "'to the street and safety beyond. "'The man slumped forward against the counter "'that separated them. "'His thick hands spread out "'on top of the other side of the glass surface, "'so close to where Kelly was standing "'she felt herself pull away. "'Lady, we all have to make some accommodation "'if we're going to survive. "'You know that. "'Everyone here knows that. "'Even though they were frightened at first, they all know that. "'Everybody, it seems, knows that's what we have to do except you.' "'Of course, it's my fault now. "'It's always my fault.' "'Look, we're all in this together,' he said with a smile that instinctively irritated Kelly." Her doctor in the upstate hospital as well as the chief resident where she had been living for the last year and a half had that same smarmy glare, as though they all knew something she didn't, and if she had, she would never really comprehend the subtleties of the new reality as only they could. She had seen that sly, knowing grin on the face of the owner of the neighborhood grocery store where she had come to shop. "'in her manager of the building where she had just moved. "'She had seen it in the faces of complete strangers "'who passed her in the street. "'She had seen it in men and women everywhere "'since being released from the hospital. "'Then the sanitarium, "'an interminable time after the car accident "'that killed her father and left her with a painful limp "'and in a constant state of crippling, suffocating anxiety.' "'Kelly knew it was time to follow the relaxation technique "'that had been prescribed over and over before she was discharged, "'and if it did not help her almost immediately, "'she was instructed to take small tablets "'that were safely waiting in her purse. "'One blue pill if rising anxiety was a problem, two if she was totally immobilized "'and felt her life was in imminent danger. "'If it wasn't for the fact that the manager's eyes dropped away to a less threatening recognition of her breasts, she would have immediately gotten a pill out and rushed back to his office to retrieve a fresh cup of water, iced or not. She had felt that glare so many times over the last few years, and could only faintly, but she believed incontrovertibly, linked it to the recollection that she had been sexually abused during her stay in the two hospitals and that even the most tender stare at her breasts from the most harmless man sent rivers of chill through her veins. It was all right, it was most importantly safe, for her to be attracted to a man, but pity the few who had responded long enough to acknowledge her natural features in the last weeks of her freedom, and she would be a block away before they could conjure up their second unseemly thought.
1: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: A man in his early 40s carrying a bag of groceries entered the store and acknowledged the manager with a friendly wink. Well I have both right here, the manager said, and pulled out a pair of books on model railroads from behind the counter. Twenty nine even. The transaction took moments, but before the man took his parcel, noticing what was going on in one of the two aisles, shook his head in despair and left. Like I said, We all have to make some allowances, the manager added, filling the cash register and throwing the special pickup slip into the waste paper basket that had recently been tossed against his heavy-duty glass window. The one he had installed last year as added security and which now functioned as added protection against the terrible vibration the patrol saucers made "'as they swept low over the neighborhood every hour, "'since they had conquered. "'He couldn't at first bring himself to use the word, "'or accept its implication, "'the earth. "'It had been merely months "'since the first heavy assault cruisers "'rained down destruction from the heavens. "'Soon after it began, "'city after city had fallen to the onslaught. "'Kelly could feel herself beginning to sneeze.' THE PRESSURE WELLED UP IN HER CHEST, PAUSED, AND THEN EXPLODED OUT HER MOUTH. SEVERAL PEOPLE MUTTERED, GOD BLESS YOU, BUT THEIR LACK OF SINCERITY WAS OBVIOUS. MOST EYED HER WITH FAULT, AND SEVERAL WITH SUSPICION. SHE WAS THE TROUBLEMAKER. SHE WAS THE ONE WHO PROTESTED, AND MIGHT CREATE A TRAGEDY FROM WHAT WAS OBVIOUSLY A MERE INCIDENT. SHE WAS THE ONE WHO STOOD OUT FROM ALL THE REST. She felt alone and vulnerable in wanting to make a statement, take a stand, and do something she hadn't felt empowered to do in so long she could not recall. She reached into her bag and rifled through the ball of tissues, accidentally fingering the small book she sensed wasn't even hers. She removed a wad of tissues and the book at the same time. She wiped her nose of the moisture with one hand, and glanced down at the book in her other hand. Spells and serpents, it read. But that wasn't possible. She read and reread the title, wiped her nose again, and sent the book and soiled tissue back into her bag as though both exposed her for the unstable person she had come to believe she might really be. One of the doctors, one of which had been particularly sexually aggressive towards her, Had warned this was a possibility after her discharge. You may feel fearful, unable to make decisions, even hesitant to cross the street at times. It's common, he had said without looking up from her file, afraid she would see the guilt in his eyes for the sins of exploiting the trust she placed in him when they were first introduced. That's not me you're talking about, she wanted to respond. "'It can't be. I've always been the strong one. "'I've always been the one others depended on. "'Came to for advice and support.' "'Don't be too hard on yourself,' he said, closing her file, "'and added gratuitously. "'Good luck,' then ushered her out of his office. "'Kelly wanted to turn and run from the antique shop,' but couldn't bring herself to do much more than focus on her deep breathing exercises and rage against herself for not taking a pill before the debilitating crush of her anxieties left her helpless and more terrified than ever. Maybe it would have been better to remain in the hospital, stay a few months, a few lifetimes longer, Maybe it would have been better to endure the monthly electroconvulsive therapy, or the stares of the other inmates, as she referred to herself and the other handful of patients inhabiting the run-down facility. Maybe it would have been better if she were as submissive, even as responsive to the touching of the male nurses and aides, especially those who staffed the night shift, as had some of the other female patients.' "'I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand,' she would repeat, her momentary mantra that helped her brush away the imaginary hand she felt crawling up her side, making its way toward her breasts, as it had at the most unpredictable moments since long before she had been discharged along with the rest of the patients. Discharged all at once, without notice or explanation— when one day the corridors emptied of nurses, guards, and aides, her sheltered life ended. She was relieved, but felt more deserved than most. Yet they were going home, too, and on the same day, made her graduation seem less than worthy, almost ordinary, and, all at once, seemed at best questionable, and, at worst, suspicious. At first... She called home, but the reception was cool and distrusting, quickly conjuring up memories of her driving that day. She knew the van that struck her father's side of the car was really meant for her. Why had God chosen to take the life of such a good man, and left a woman whose most notable quality were her questionable sexual instincts? She saw over and over in the condemning glare of friends and family "'as the procession of lives moved from cemetery "'to the aftermath of tragedy, to daily chores. "'She was never the favorite child. "'Her brother had been the best the family had produced. "'That became painfully obvious after she recovered from her injuries, "'and because of her continuing erratic behavior, "'she was sent for therapy, which seemed never to end. "'At first there were visits, "'then phone calls several times a week,' than cards every few months. Their tacit disinterest in her welfare drove her back to the city, and to try to pick up where her life had ended so long ago, and with what savings she had, to re-enter school. Even with an unstable gait and some hairline scars near her forehead, she was positive she could rebuild her life. A week later she learned that life on earth had changed and the nasty details of how her planet had been beaten and humiliated into submission. One of the men picked up the sandwich he was eating and walked out of the antique shop humming the Merle Haggard tune. Square dancing! Kelly could hear herself say repeatedly, as a few people came into the shop, surveyed the young man poised over the array of fresh entrails, and quickly rushed out. After a few more minutes only she, the owner, and the carnage remained in the still silence of the shop. "'Now what?' she asked. "'You want to buy anything?' "'Peace of mind,' Kelly answered, as if the words had been forming in her soul since forever, waiting for this one gesture for relief. The owner, who seemed still smaller and less imposing now, "'Fumbled absently through the day's receipts, "'until he could no longer bear the pretty girl's sorrowful stare. "'Lady, I'm like everyone else, except for you. "'I've come to terms with what has happened. "'Which is? "'The end of our world, our freedom, "'what we spent a million years building. "'And the answer is square dancing? "'No one knows how that got started.' So whenever one of them wants to kill one of us, we all clap and dance around? Or do what? The ones who protested first saw their whole towns consumed in green flashes of light, so powerful they melted cars and trucks where they stood. Look, I'm getting out. You want to stay here? You're welcome to do what you can. But I think the old man is long past dead, and I don't want to be the next on his menu." Kelly walked out in front of the owner, a man who finally introduced himself as Manny Perez. The shop had belonged to his brother, who, she learned, was one of the first to go into the streets when the battle cruisers broke through the country's flimsy military defenses. He was swept from the streets by the howling green flash. Manny pointed out where Johnny had been standing, along with a small band of frightened onlookers when they were cut down. There was no warning when the assault came. No message from the President or Pentagon announcing the invasion or the nation's or world's plans for defense. One morning the cruisers appeared hundreds of miles overhead and descended, wiping out bridges, tunnels, power plants, wherever infrastructure was necessary to sustain the lives of their enemy. Lines of communication were cut or interrupted, along with power transmission lines that fed the appetite of the world economy. Every nation was struck simultaneously with the same relentless overpowering force. There was no place to turn, to flee, only the certainty of death by resistance and a new reality. After weeks of carnage, they made their demands clear. Enough time for humanity to accept its weakness and the brutality of reprisals that were frequently used to dampen vigilante uprisings and keep the inhabitants in constant fear and subjugation. What had occurred in the shop was common. Blessedly, Manny noted, tame in comparison to when one or two would come in and attack half a dozen people in malls, parking lots, or supermarkets. These outbursts were becoming more common and depraved, what was worse than a savage species that could transform itself at will, without notice or warning, and so easily assume human form? No one knows who they are talking to anymore. You could have been one of them. You could still be, he said, before turning away with tears in his eyes. Kelly watched him disappear down the block. People were moving about their business, their faces fixed with fear, "'not looking left or right, not making eye contact. "'With the realization of what she had missed, "'what her relatives failed or were too frightened to mention, "'were terrified even to allude to when she called them "'to say she was being released, made sense. "'It made her angry, fearful and angry. "'She wanted to do something, "'for once take a stand and make her life count.' She needed to de-trivialize what she saw as her existence. She needed to give meaning to who she was, or could possibly have been. Traffic lights ticked off their yellows, reds, and greens. Green, with the coming of the invaders, was no longer the international signal for safety. Maybe she was reading into people's expressions, but she felt she could detect a slight apprehension when the traffic lights turned green and cars, what there were of them, now that she was aware of what happened, moved a little slower after being given electronic permission to advance. A shy vulnerability about his eyes. She continued to conjure the image of the young man as she first saw him. Her response to his endearing appearance now made her sick with revulsion. The imagery, the need to reach out, the hope of making human contact beyond what her life had been like for two years. Now whom could you trust? Had she been so blind to her surroundings, as blind as she had been before her father's death? What was it about her? What flaw? What electrochemical failure in her brain would not give her the insights and access to some of the most obvious of life's external warnings? She stopped at the corner, although the few other pedestrians continued across the street. The light was red. Cars stopped. She remembered the tick that had once been her constant companion. Where was it now? She would ball her fingers into a fist and strike the side of her head over and over in patterns of three, then pause, then three again, until she realized how much it hurt. She could continue with this obsessive-compulsive behavior for hours until her body relaxed or was injured enough to loosen its defenses and allow her medication to defend her. Addressing, or at least moderating, the sensation of this compulsive behavior was one of the first goals of the director of the hospital. Now she understood why. Before, no amount of therapy could decipher why, even as a child— she would strike away at the side of her head. It was her anger displayed at the object of her frustration. Her displeasure and frustration at who she was or was not fueled the attack that lasted minutes and hours and came and went with the seasons and was as unpredictable and destructive as the weather. The traffic light flipped to green. Kelly nervously stepped back and looked up. "'and at that moment saw the symbol of what had changed her life "'without her knowledge "'and the future of the rest of her world forever. "'She walked the streets of a city she had grown up to cherish, "'reliving the strained happy incidents of her childhood, "'blocking out memories too painful to resolve, "'with a family she felt estranged from since she could recall. "'There were few cars,' And most people clustered together for safety, no longer railing to the cords of outrage or injustice. It was all new to her, and too alien for humanity to ponder its darkened destiny. Two giant silver-flying saucers glided slowly, only a thousand feet above the skyline. People stopped in their tracks. Some ran for cover as if they expected an attack. "'Kelly was as frightened as she was impressed. "'They were huge and had no markings on their surface. "'They had to be two or three times "'the size of the largest commercial jet plane, "'with a small raised metallic nub at the centre, "'as she had seen in the movies long ago. "'After a moment she became transfixed "'by their effortless presence. "'Those who had taken flight or had hidden relaxed their fears. People spoke in hushed, apprehensive tones, as if they could be overheard, or their thoughts intercepted and punished for dreams of revenge. Satisfied that they had achieved the necessary effect, the saucers slipped out of sight, and as if on cue, there was a collective sigh of relief, and people returned to their routines. Kelly could feel a pinch of hunger. She couldn't recall if she had had breakfast, and for a moment couldn't place the time of day. These blank spots, as Dr. Halpin described them, these moments of confusion and disorientation, were normal and were to be expected, but they still rekindled fears that she might never return to a normal life. Then again, Kelly mused, What was the chance of that happening now, that she and the rest of her kind had lost their freedom in future? Only the clatter of hammers stirred her from slipping into a deepening depression. "'Get some food, sit somewhere, and collect your thoughts,' she concluded. "'Simple and direct, and don't get wrapped up in blame, especially of herself.' She watched three men go through their paces, lifting and pulling and giving directions amid the narrow confines of a dilapidated retail store. If it weren't for the safety of the distraction, she would have moved on to find a piece of fruit, a sandwich, a cold drink. If their efforts hadn't held her attention longer than she might have expected, she would never have noticed a familiar figure moving along the street in front of a burned-out building. Kelly felt the tips of her fingers tingle. Heat surged into her face. Her heart trembled as the old man shuffled along, nodding respectfully as a woman passed going the opposite way. His stoop, his age, the way he held one hand clenched tightly against his ribcage eliminated all doubt. Kelly wanted to rush to his side and then thought better of the idea. It was an illusion, a dream. This couldn't possibly be happening. She heaved a deep breath, watched a moment longer, and then was swept up in a torrent of anger. Then revenge. A few cars slipped between the old man and Kelly, Christina Ramos. Finally, she walked into the ramble of traffic just as she spotted something more disturbing. Why hadn't she noticed it before? "'It was so obvious, so infuriating. "'The old man was carrying the young boy's battered backpack. "'It was empty. That much was obvious. "'But who was to blame? "'The old man was alive, so then who was the victim?' "'Drivers laid on their horns, but she ignored their protest.' She crossed the street and stood by the pile of rubble as the old man moved away. The pang of hunger had disappeared, replaced by a fury, a rage that infused her with purpose. Kelly looked around, watched the three construction workers as though they might have held the answer to her lifetime of questions and grinding doubts. A few feet away, near the back of the small pickup truck, was a bucket loaded with tools. In that white plastic bucket was a small hand pickaxe. She walked over to the truck and removed the axe. It was unexpectedly light and rested comfortably in her hand. The thick metal arch that crossed the top of the foot long wooden handle was rusted and scarred with age. She wondered why she hadn't sought out the comfort of such an instrument long before now. The salvage workers hadn't noticed her and couldn't have imagined her intentions. Nor would they, all three of them, have been able to stop her on the mission she had chosen. A few people saw what she had taken, but walked by without comment. It was part of the new times to keep to yourself and hope the person you smiled at who may or may not smile back, was not one of them. What might have mattered before was no longer of consequence. The promise of a future, of any possibilities, was no longer important. What mattered, all that counted to Kelly, was to redress the injustice, an act of such cruelty. To do otherwise was to betray whatever was right and just. "'Moreover, if no one would help her then,' she accepted, "'she would make amends alone.' "'The old man shuffled along a block away. "'Kelly recalled to her delight "'a time when she could scamper down a block "'with her sister in a breath, "'turn around and tag up where she began, "'faster than any child in the neighborhood. "'Now, more than twenty years later,' That same fire and force of youth and focus was rekindled in her damaged legs. By the time she heard the angry cry of the workers in their apparent chase, she was halfway towards her target. The pickaxe swung as an extension of her arm. It was reassuring, comforting. She knew the three workers would understand when they found out why she had taken, borrowed, the pickaxe. Who would... "'could object. "'There was right and wrong, "'and there was justice and injustice. "'There were the principled "'and those who would bring an end "'to the light of civilization. "'By the time she was a dozen yards away, "'people were standing back against the stores "'and moving into the street to avoid her "'and the entourage of hefty workers "'lumbering at her heels.' The pain in her leg was as bad as it had been since after the crash and many months of therapy, and yet hardly noticeable. The light at the corner turned red just as she came up behind the old man. She lifted the pickaxe to her shoulder, if only to get a sense of what energy she would need to complete the act, then high overhead. When there was no possibility of altering her path, The old man turned around. His face was calm, even placid, just as she had seen it in the antique shop. His warm green eyes revealed neither fear nor surprise. The arch in his back was just as bowed, even with the added weight of the empty backpack. You're making a very foolish choice, she expected him to say as she drove down the pickaxe. People would scream and scatter along the street. "'You killed him!' she would have responded. But that didn't happen. What did was stranger than she ever imagined. The sharp rusted tip of the pickaxe swung downward just as a flash of green burst from half a dozen sources scattered from blocks around her. From the corner of her eye and from over the old man's shoulder she could see quite ordinary people raising their arms and bolts of green light flying towards her from their insistence. They didn't reach her in time to thwart the blow that struck the old man squarely on the top of his head. If life could be recorded in parts, in even smaller increments of an instant, Then several frames would have captured her shock-widened eyes as the point of the pickaxe made contact and plunged through the mat of wispy white hair. The old man's face changed into that of the young man to which she had first been attracted. Then, as the metal point speared through flesh, another face appeared. A woman in her late fifties with oily skin and a genetically unfriendly grimace. Once the resistance of cranial bone was breached, another face, and then another, morphed, until half a dozen faces appeared and withered before the harsh reality of the green flash warmed, then incinerated her skin, bones, and viscera, in an incandescent puff of red and yellow. In one withering explosion, Kelly Ramos felt a sigh of relief go through her tortured soul she only wished she could have been a spectator at her own death to witness her own rebirth as a plume of doves gushed out of her heart and into the white promise of a better to-morrow
3: Thank you for the use of that story, Arthur. As an aside, by the way, this casting of A Sly and Knowing Grin marks the first time the story has been publicly presented. Arthur Davis says he is currently exploring partnerships with cable TV companies to develop proprietary properties, including miniseries programming based on his novels and short stories. You can Touch bases with him at his website, Tales of Our Time. That's at talesofourtime.com. And that will be on our Facebook page and, of course, our homepage at tales dot com. Oh, and one more thing. Arthur Davis has set up part of his website as Operation Outreach. Operation Outreach contains what he calls the Armed Forces Collection, a mini volume of stories that is his gift to those currently serving in the military. So, stop by, take a look, have a read. And thank you, Josie Babin, our narrator for a sly and knowing grin. A biologist by training and profession, Josie says that by day, she functions as a happy little cog in the grand machine known as medical research. When she's not at work or enjoying the great outdoors of San Diego, she is typically at home with her three loving companions, two feline, one human. She says she records in a tiny bedroom library surrounded by scientific works, literature, and a few video game boxes. Thanks again, Josie. And that, fellow children of the night will be that for this week. I would have you be upstanding, and don't forget your sweaters, your coats, your gloves, whatever you've brought. It's spring, and it's very easy to forget that it still can be chilly in the dark of night on long walks home. And yes, bowls, cups, et al., in the sink, you-know-who will clean them for your use next week. And, of course, there is my weekly warning— The night tonight may be replete with loud and raucous strangers out there. Puffy fellows, oddly dressed, blue creatures who, from now until the end of summer, will wander forlorn and stinking. They may mete out vengeance to passers-by. The vengeance will be for imagined sins for slights yet to come, and disappointments that are inevitable, yes. One moment, all is well, and then, well, the season has begun. Baseball. And the Cubs fans, don't you know? Well, Cubs fans are out. Just stay to the dark streets, scoot from tree to tree, and you'll be fine fine and home, and in your room, and in your bed soon, and closure to the day will descend and will, of course, bring you pleasant dreams. Hmm? This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at
2: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
3: Their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.